Welcome to the Midlife Career Rebel, the podcast created for high-achieving professional women to gain the clarity, confidence, and courage they need to go after and get the life and career they want. I'm your host, Dr. Carol Parker-Walsh, lawyer, social scientist, brand strategist, executive coach, entrepreneur, and midlife career rebel. Each week, you'll learn strategies to manage your mind, navigate the challenges of midlife, and take control of your career so you can thrive doing the work you love. So if you're ready to tear up that rule book and create your own, you're in the right place. And I can't wait to show you how. Hey, hey, Rebels. Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Dr. Carol Parker Walsh. And we have a a phenomenal guest today that I'm excited to have a conversation with. Um, Her name is Lee Kiraher. She is an acclaimed communication strategist and is the CEO of Double Forte, which is a national independent PR and communication agency. Lee has a reputation for building cohesive, high-producing teams who have fun together at the same time, and she's authored two top-selling books about positive and profitable work culture, and actually one of those books we're going to get in today, which is called The Boomerang Principle, Inspiring Lifetime Loyalty from Employees, which I think is so fascinating, particularly in this climate. So Mm. without further ado, Lee, welcome so much to the podcast. Carol, thank you so much for having, I should call you Dr. Carol. Dr. Carol, thank you so much for having me. You can totally call me Carol. We're friends here. We're all friends here. sister's a doctor now, and she's like, it's Dr. Lizzie to you. I'm like, really? Great, Dr. Lizzie. I love that. I love that. So Lee, I would love just to, you know, give a sense of background and understanding of your journey to where you are now before you Mm -hmm. created your agency and the work that you are doing now. What was your story and your career story Mm -hmm. from, you know, from where you started to the work that you're doing now and what motivated that journey for you? Oh my gosh. Lots of, well, motivation was food. Okay. (laughs) I like to eat. Uh, I, uh, I graduated. I went, I grew up on the East coast. I went to school in Minnesota. I went to Carleton college, which is just a wonderful institution. And if you have a senior rising senior, please consider it because I love that place. And it's awesome. I have a degree in medieval history, Carol, which is really helpful. Um, And (laughs) my minor was performance voice, which is probably more helpful, but I knew that I didn't want to do both departments were very, um, you know, you should be a historian, you should be a singer. And what I knew about myself, even at 22 was I am terrible at doing one thing. I am, this is before, I mean, MBTI was just coming out, you know, all that stuff, but I knew that I got bored. I'm bored easily. Right. Mm. So I didn't know what to do. And my friend Ramona, so this is how I got out of my career. My friend Ramona, who we were on the same, we were on the same floor for four years in a row together. She was also a history major, but not a medieval historian. She said, I think you should go into PR. And I said, what is PR? I had no idea. So I went to the career center and there was a book, what is PR? So I read it and I'm like, yeah, I could do that. Literally, that's how <laughs> I decided to start my career because I had to get a job. My parents, I'm the oldest. They'd made different decisions from my younger sisters, but I'm the mm. oldest. They're like, you're not coming home. You can't. I mean, this was a different age, right? Yeah. Oh my goodness. So um, I was like, well, I need a job. That looks good. I can do that. I sort of do that with all the other stuff I'm doing uh, in my extracurricular. So I, at that time, which was a long time ago, 
there's re I decided to do an agency pursue agency work because agency work is more set for training than internal work. And that's still true. Um, mm. You get much more training in an agency than you do internally uh, in this profession uh, until a certain point. And then going in-house makes a lot of sense. Um, and there's really four places in the country you could do it. So I didn't want to, uh, Boston, which is where I sort of grown up, um, New York, which scared the crap out of me, mm -hmm. uh, San Francisco, lost five places, Los Angeles and Chicago. I want to get out of the Midwest. Uh, San Francisco is where my parents were, did not want to be close. They were sort of separated at the time. I was like, I'm not going into that chaos. LA, <laughs> I didn't want to be a publicist for stars. And that really at that time was what happened. Uh, so by process of elimination, I'm left with Boston. So I called my father's best friend, who's a big time lawyer in Boston. I said, will you help me? Well, you need to write me a letter like why I should help you and why you think you'd be good in this career. So I wrote a letter. He sent it back with blood all over it. Okay, red pen. But, uh, <laughs> and I had to rewrite it. I rewrote it. And he said, yes, I'll help you. So then he set me up with 11 informational interviews in one week. I got five offers for internships, six offers for internships. I took the one that gave me the most dollars, which was in high-tech PR, which makes a lot of sense for medieval historian, don't you think? So <laughs> that is how I got into PR. And what I found was that I'm good at it. I like it. And I've been in communication, public relations, communications, executive communications, crisis communications, whatever, the whole thing ever since, which is very unusual. I get it. Um, mm -hmm. And then um, let's see, started in Boston, moved to California, moved to LA, did technology PR in LA, got recruited to Sega of America, the video game company for lots of reasons, um, was there uh, at the height of Sonic the Hedgehog, which mm. was very exciting and really a bellwether in my career. Um, when Sega decided to move forward with a, their last platform, um, the Dreamcast, I decided to leave because I we all knew it was going to happen to the company. There's no way it was going to sustain itself with that model. Mm -hmm. And then I was recruited back to my firm that I'd been at in Boston to start their San Francisco office. I did that. They offered me to, they asked me to start a company. I did that. And then on 9-11, um, lots of things happened, um, before 9-11 to lead up to this, but on 9-11, it was abundantly clear to me that I did not want to do that job. I had been on a plane on 9-4 from New York to San Francisco. That could have been me. I had two young children and I was working for people I really did not respect. And I was like, I can't do it. I cannot do this. Wow. Literally 20 years ago. Um, and, uh, at that time you couldn't work. 2000 miles away from your CEO. If you were the C chief communications officer, yeah. like, I'm gonna have to figure it out. And that's when I started double forte because I had to, not because I wanted to, but I'm the breadwinner. I knew how to do this. And then, um, my friend, Dan, who would work and colleague, we'd work together. One, two, three, three. This is our third time working together. We came together and said, okay, if we have to start an agency, let's make it one that we like to go to work to, because we hated going to work to the last one. <laughs> hated it with mm -hmm. burning passion of the sun. And that was 20 years ago. And uh, here we are. That is my journey in a nutshell. Wow. <laughs> that is quite a journey. But, you know, I'm curious, though. I, you know, I think, I think what's one, let me just say, I think it's always fascinating that when I hear people talk about their career journeys, that a lot of life experiences, life events oh. create these pivots, um, you know, I in our career. So, right? 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I think, um, you know, some of us, it takes a life event to, to make the pivot and some people, you know, need a life event, you know, to, um, to make a pivot when they probably should, you know, earlier. But the other thing was what made you feel confident with everything that you were going through and after working for so long that you could create your own, um, business that you could start your own company and, and run it smoothly. Oh, run it smoothly? Wait, wait, wait. I didn't say that. <laughs> Successfully. I'll put it that way. Successfully, 20 years. Yeah. I mean, most companies yeah. don't make it past three years, as you know. Yeah. And, you know, only less than 1% make it to 20 years. So it is yeah. successful, which I have to remind myself when it gets hard. You know, um, I'm pragmatic, right? My husband was a chef when I met him, and I was an executive in PR. And uh, when we... Pre- before it was never a person I thought we would, you know, he was not my ideal husband had I been 27. But having been older, I was like, I had realized, you know, all those people who were ideal aren't so ideal. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I actually married a chef. I never thought I would marry someone who didn't have a white collar job. It just was in, in my yeah head, right? Um, but I did. And he realized we weren't seeing, we weren't going to see each other because he worked from like 2 p.m. to 2 a.m. And I worked from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. And, you know, never the two shall meet. And so, you know, you make more money than I do, Lee. So why don't I stay home with the kids? I'm like, wait, 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 what just happened? <laughs> You're like, that's not the game book. That's not the plan. <laughs> and my plan worked out. Are you hearing me, Carol? So, um, but, you know, here's a man I loved and he's an awesome dad and I made more money. So it was very pragmatic. I was like, okay. We don't have more money. I, I don't want to put all my money into this basket called uh, uh, termites and live paycheck to paycheck. I had done, I had run a business, a $25 million business for Interpublic that I basically mm-hmm. built myself, you know, on their, on their dime. And so, you know, sort of like baby needs a new set of shoes. And it's been my experience um, actually around women in the workplace in general over 30 years of career and i've been through now one two three four downturns right mm-hmm. is that women are much more pragmatic than their male counterparts they you know in a situation that is dire like in a situation that's not ideal mm-hmm. they make pragmatic decisions for their families if they have families and most mm-hmm. of them do in some way shape or form and they don't worry so much about the title or the money matters, but they don't worry about the title and they don't worry about, all right, well, that's new. That's the new rate. They go do the research and like, yeah, that is the new rate. They just take the job and then they evolve the job from whatever that position is when times get better. Whereas my, in my experience, the men who have uh, come to me for help, they won't take a job unless it's a certain title. They won't take a job unless it's a certain amount of dollars. They won't take a job unless all these things. Like, I need to travel first class. I'm like, who the hell are you? Right? <laughs> you don't have a job. You don't have to travel at all, you know? <laughs> and um, they have a harder time. Men, in general, I found that men have a harder time in times of trouble than women do because women are very focused on, you know, baby needs a new pair of shoes. And yeah. that sounds so trite, but it's true. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I think as you think about the last few years with COVID, you know, all the things that happened in COVID were happening. They were all happening. 
People yeah. were not were underpaid. They were not being served. Well, all these things were happening, and COVID just slammed us forward ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing new came out of COVID except an acceleration of the the trends that were happening anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if this male tr- male female differentiation trend though um, changed at all. I haven't figured that out yet. Well, I, I think you know to your point, it goes to one of the things I always talk about with um, you know with my clients is that it's so important for you to understand your natural gifts and talents and yes. abilities. And uh, I think that what you're saying is, as a natural talent, gift, and ability, if you have agility, flexibility, mm-hmm. openness. Um, some pragmatism and, you, you know, can that you listen. Can, and can listen you have to be a really good listener. Absolutely. That you can make things work. You can come yeah. into situations and, and, and hopefully either be able to reframe them in a way that fits you, or you make decisions that allow you right. to utilize those skills to be successful. Like you say, exactly. you, you have to, cause you have to, you know, you have to and so, to. yeah. Well, and I think too, I mean, again, all these trends were happening um, before COVID, but, you know, think about all the things that happened inside COVID, right? We had George yeah. Floyd, we had Donald Trump. We had, I mean, all you have the war in Ukraine. We have all these things happening um, in it. And my hope, I believe this is true. The trajectory that we're on now, forget what everyone is like, you know, dooming the economy for we're not in a recession people yes mm-hmm. there's inflation but that's because we're spending mm-hmm. we're spending which makes inflation if we don't spend inflation goes down it's us right um is that the things that is the economy the workforce um are finally learning that uh people matter and that people can make many more of their own decisions as long as they back them up and uh, particularly for people of color um incredible i mean it is incredibly painful um it's incredibly painful but it's in- there have been incredible strides forward in the last two and a half years um for all people of color uh even when sometimes it feels like we're taking three steps back mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and the from my perspective it's a mindset listening what do i have to do what do i want what's my impact going to be how do i want to live what do i have to look like who do i have to look in the mirror every night that's what guided me when i started my company was how do i said this earlier like how do you make a company we like to go to right don't Mm -hmm. work for assholes was rule number one (laughs) don't work for people you don't trust basically Mm -hmm. don't work for people who don't respect you Women work to stay relevant more than men do because we are more pragmatic in general. And I don't even know if this is supposed to be that conversation, but that's my experience. Yeah. Um, And uh, in PR, it's all about being relevant. Uh, And our our company has changed four or five times in models, has evolved dramatically in in the tactics we use, but it really hasn't evolved at all in the services that we do, which is speak on behalf of our clients, to get people to care about them. The end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I love what you said earlier about 
that what we've seen through the pandemic, it, uh, definitely a more push toward a, hum a more human centric approach that so people care, are starting to care about what they do. Things matter to them, mm -hmm. um, you know? And so, and, you know, you're looking at this ability for, uh, you know, for women as well with their agility and flexibility in the workplace. Mm -hmm. But I, and I think because of that is why we've seen this, like what they're calling a, a she session, you know, with so many women mm -hmm. who have exited the workplace because they've had enough of, kind of this patriarchal model of working and and not being able uh, to have opportunities to flex in a way that makes sense for them and and on and on and on. And, you know, taking it to your book about, you know, building um, loyalty in organizations, yeah. you know, inspiring employers, inspiring loyalty. You know, I was thinking about this relationship between all of these, this kind of mass exodus of women, this, you know, mm -hmm. dearth of women leadership, um, you know, for the ability to create spaces that make sense for them. Mm -hmm. What in through, you know, your research you're finding through, yeah. you know, in your book, like what have you found that is important for, or how can employers build that loyalty to keep women, you know, and to inspire women and women of color to stay and to, you know, really want to be committed to the organization? We're gonna need another podcast, Carol, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's, to me, it's very simple. First of all, let's define loyalty. Loyalty is when you do something for somebody else that you don't have to do. Loyalty mm. is not staying in a job you hate. Loyalty is not staying in a job and not going somewhere else. I mean, the most loyal act an employee can do is leave when they're not inspired by the job they have. Mm. And if the, even if they like the company that they don't like their role that they haven't figured, or either they don't have the energy to find a new role in the entertain in the, in the system, or the system does not have a role for them. And that can be totally true depending on the size of the entity, right? Mm -hmm. I've had people come to me in 20 years and go, Lee, I want to be a nurse. Well, we are not a hospital. So I don't know, <laughs> how can I support you? I can support, do you have to go to school to, you know, get your prereqs? Yes. Okay. Well, you can work for us and go to nurse, you know, get your prereqs done at night or we'll figure it out. You know, mm -hmm. I can support them in their personal goals and for the rest i mean we have several people who have changed their careers two and three times since they left double forte but they still show up for double forte all the time they're referring business they're referring people they have ideas they come back you know all that kind of stuff right so loyalty is something you don't have to do when you're getting paid when you're getting paid it's a transaction you show up mm. you get paid that's the deal it's not mm -hmm. it's not loyal to show up to work mm -hmm. uh it's prudent to show up to work. Like all these people who are ghosting their jobs before they even show up. Crazy talk. Don't understand. Yeah. It will hurt them in the end. It will hurt them in the end. Um, so that's loyalty. So the thing about loyalty is sometimes grass looks greener, right? And mm -hmm. the number one, number two about loyalty is every person is unique. Every person has their own journey. Every person has their own strengths, their own weaknesses, their own challenges their own desires, right? And sometimes those desires are way outmatched to their ability. <laughs> you know, I want to do this. Well, first you need to do all these things because mm -hmm. that is what's required. You can't be a heart surgeon unless you go through medical school and you go through the internship and the residency and you save some people, then you can get your credential, you know, that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. So um, there are definitely qualifications and what, I mean, so 
but if I know, Carol, what you want to do in life, what's your goal? Tell me where, tell me where you are in your life, Carol. Well, you know, I have two young kids. My husband's on the road all the time. And what I really, I need to work. I have to work. That's what the deal is. Um, uh, what matters most to me is that I have a good job and that I'm contributing, but that I also have flexibility. So you might say, I'm going to park myself for a little bit while I do all these things and get to the other side of kindergarten, right? Because <laughs> kindergartner, you know, kindergarten changes everything. So um, as long as you tell me what it is you want to do, or you could have someone right out of college. I don't know what I want to do. What I know what I want to do is I'm going to use these skills. You have, everyone says you have got a great um, culture here. I love these clients. I want to work on them. And I'd like to see where it goes. That's enough. All right. Here's what you have to do. Mm -hmm. If you share, well, one, you have to be willing to share and have a reputation for caring. Because if you're just exploiting, your people can people can smell that a mile away, right? Mm -hmm. But um, you know, have a vested interest in who works for you. Big big company, small company doesn't really matter. Like, who is your manager? Do they have invested interest in you? What would you like to? And then share what you'd like to do. Um, and then have this tell you know. Here's what I'd like to get. Sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you do. And then have them work with the manager to say, here's how you can get there. If you do all these things and I can promote you over to that group and help you work with that group to get that job, it takes an evolved manager. It takes a manager who, who has, you know, who has a strong ego in the fact that they don't care that they understand a strong ego in the fact that they understand that the more people they help, the more power they have mm -hmm. um, not to diminish somebody. Right. Mm -hmm. It also takes a strong person, right? These things that, you know, good careers are not served to you in a platter period. Mm -hmm. Good careers are served to you by your own desire, your own imagination, and your own will. And when those things don't match up to where you are, that you get the hell out and find something new. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like I love this idea that um, it's important for you as an employee to know what your values are and to understand what the values are of the organization that you're a part yeah. of to make sure there's alignment so that you're not, you know, as you put it, working for assholes. Yeah. Unless you're okay with it, but it sounds like, you know, if I had to, you know, summarize some of the things that you said, you, first of all, having this understanding and sense of loyalty, which is doing something you don't have to do. So you need to first have that mentality mm -hmm. and to be okay with that, as opposed to just, well, I'm paying you, therefore that's transactional. That's not what loyalty is. Not what loyalty um, is. The second thing is being, you know, knowing the goals for the employee to know their own goals, but having that conversation as mm -hmm. a leader or an employer to understand the goals and aspirations of the people that are working for them and to also have a vested interest in that, yeah. you know, a vested interest in your employee being successful, whether that means long-term they're going to stay with you or not, you know, but right. doesn't if matter. you're invested in them while they're there, it right. sounds like they'll be more loyal to you and give you so much more if you're Long open term. to having that connection in life yeah. where you actually care about them. And some of the most success, some of the most valuable counted by dollars employees I've ever had don't work for me. I haven't worked for me for 12 years, you know? Yeah. And they're valuable because they refer company clients. They're valuable because they, re they give us testimonials. They're valuable that someone gets inspired by. They're valuable because they send us uh, candidates. So now I don't have to pay 45% to find a candidate. So 
the other thing about it's not here's what we know and i have i have all the statistics in this book so you know you can go look at all the research on this what we know about human people as opposed to inhuman people and there are some is that (laughs) people who feel appreciated outperform those who don't up to 30 percent so let me say that again people and teams right who feel appreciated outperform those who don't by up to 30 percent what does that mean that means people you know your teams that understand that they mean something to the organization that they are contributing to the organization and that contribution is appreciated are more profitable for the organization than people who are just wondering what the hell's going on Mm. if you and there is so much data on this carol there's yeah. coming at a Harvard, Wharton, Duke. I mean, there's so much data, uh, uh, London School of Economics, so much data on this. So I got a coach um, and I worked with a coach for six months after I came back. And the first thing she did was a very professional, in-depth 360. And um, the thing that came back, so it was very complimentary, which was, except for this one thing, none of my people thought that I appreciated them. I'm like, what are they talking about? Wow. I am the nicest person they know. Damn it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, in my opinion, <laughs> in my very informed, unbiased opinion. <laughs> and what it really came down to is I never said please and thank you. And, um, and I grew up in a household that didn't say please and thank you. My father was a cardiac surgeon and his point of view was please and thank you were implied because if you ask please and thank you in the operating room, please give me the scalpel. Thank you for giving me the scalpel. Someone might die. That was his point of view that mm-hmm. was in our household. And I went into work with that. No one ever thought, I mean, I never ca- occurred to me to say please and thank you because I didn't grow up that way. And this is the big glaring, my big glaring, um, you know, blind spot, right? That we all identify in these 360s. Mm-hmm. So I learned how to say thank you and please. And our non-billable times, so we track all time, dropped by 5% once I stopped, when I started saying please and thank you. And I thought everyone was going to think I was a tool. Truly, I think I, that's what I wrote in my book. I thought everyone's going to think I was a tool. <laughs> um, but I had to learn how to do it. And then I made them do it and learn, practice it 12 times, you know, authentic appreciation, not for the fact that you like your shoes, but I appreciate that you always give me a smile. I appreciate that you said thank you um, when I was just having a bad day. I appreciated that you went and got my lunch because you knew that I was so busy that day. Things mm-hmm. that actually made a difference to you. We, I force it on everybody. Everyone, you know, like, oh, good. Here's Lee again with the appreciation. But I'll tell you, after every time we did it, and we did 12 weeks in a row because you really have to create a habit, the energy in the room was like sky high, right? So, and I saw the the profit and loss option right there. 5% mm-hmm. less wasted time. We sell time. That's what we do. We sell yeah. time. Yeah. That was amazing to me. So if you just say, please, and thank you, if you take a moment to say, what is that person's role? Explain that person's role. Explain how that person has an impact on the next person, how we Mm -hmm. cannot do what we do without you showing up, even if it's virtually. Yeah. And then say, thank you for, not thank you for showing up, but hey, man, look at what the team did together. We are moving our ball down the field. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really all it takes. Yeah, simple. All it takes. Simple and powerful. Yeah, yeah. But, but we're not taught that, 
but maybe they're taught that now, but I was not taught that early, you know, right. in my career. So I had my own company. It was not until I'd been in my career for, let's see, 86. Yeah. For 20 years until I learned that. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. no one ever told me that before. <laughs> yeah. So how can, how can, you know, women bring more of that into the workplace to, you know, I, I know that the culture is such where that's not going to be acceptable. That's going to be a challenging thing to do. But for those who are really trying yeah. to, in this day and age, to really redefine who they are, you yeah. know, and they want to build that loyalty, what mm-hmm. can what can they do and what can women do to help maybe mm-hmm. foster this sense of building more loyalty so that it becomes a place where they mm-hmm. want to keep them and they want to stay? And they want to come back, right? And want to come back. Yeah. And refer people to come. Yeah. My book is about coming back to a company you left. Like be open to it. Sometimes your best employees are the ones that came back to you. They come Mm -hmm. back better than when they left you. That's for Mm -hmm. sure. Um, So loyalty starts with being um, understanding that you got something out of the experience that you have with the company. So if your point of view is like, so my son's 24, I don't think he likes what he's doing, but he knows he's doing, he's doing it in a good place. He doesn't know what he wants to do. Right. I said, here's the deal. Just get everything you can out of it. What are you going to learn? Write down what you're going to learn. And as soon as you stop learning, write down something else. Right. Mm-hmm. So define what you want to get out of this job. And you have to put it in the context of your life. Right. So if you're 24, you're single, you can go anywhere in the world that, you know, what do you want to get out of this? And his whole thing was, I want to get two years experience. So I'm eligible for the entry-level jobs I wasn't exper- uh, uh, didn't have enough experience for when I graduated. I'm like, okay, two years, two years of work. All right, stay there for two years. That will get you where you want to go. If that's mm-hmm. what you decide. So define what you want to get out of the job. Define what, uh, and, f- and then what are the conditions under which you are unwilling to work? I'm unwilling to work. So Meta, Facebook, just said, uh, announced, well, they had an internal memo that said, if you're not going to be in the, you know, if people aren't willing to be work even more intensely than they have, they're not welcome at Meta, Facebook anymore. Mm. Which as someone from the San Francisco Bay Area, I am, I'm just like, I don't know how those people could work any harder, but okay. Um, I don't want to work that way. There are people who will, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So all right, don't go there. There are lots of companies that will not require that, who know that that is a, that is a short-term gain for long-term loss. Yeah. It's been proven over and over and over again, right? Yeah. Um, so what are you going to get out of that job? Who are you going to be working with? What's the contribution you can make through that role? Mm-hmm. That goes down to the, you know, the, the guy who picks up the garbage every day. People don't pick up our garbage. We can't get our job done. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for making it nice, you know? And then as a, you know, and then you can start the thanks and please be who you want to be, who you want to be as a manager. If you're not one yet, be model how you want to have be modeled too, right. Acted with Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and 95% of the people will match you. Don't worry about the 5% who aren't, unless you're in physically, if you're in danger, get the hell out. And there are definitely dangerous situations. You should not, if you feel like you're in danger, you're at risk. Goodbye. Yeah. 95% of of situations are not going to be that. 
So, and then, and then you can work for the other pieces, right? This is, and this is where DE and I work has done so much, so much in the last, particularly, well, forever, but really in the last three years, right? Mm -hmm. um, where really pushing organizations forward and understanding what inclusion and invitation means, acceptance means, um, and those things. And being willing, being willing to listen, being, you know, being unwilling to lose people. So I'm unwilling to lose people uh, just because we didn't try. Mm -hmm. I'm unwilling. If they don't, if my people don't do their work, I can't keep them. We sell time, mm -hmm. but we can offer a lot of flexibility, a lot of opportunity, a lot of things, but I'm unwilling to lose people that I spent a lot of time looking for and a lot of time training without mm -hmm. trying. Yeah. And, um, it takes and le listening just, you know, so what can women do? Depends who you are, but every woman can decide what it is they want to do, what it is that is important in this next period of time. So what's important in the next two years, like look around, like, you know, a lot of women probably who listen to the show, Carol, are like us. They have parents who are elderly have children who are growing. They're caring for somebody, even if they don't have their own children total mm -hmm. sandwich, right? We have lots of, we have lots of responsibilities. We're trying to be yeah. involved with politics. We're trying to be involved with our communities. We're trying to bring home a dollar. We're trying, you know, all those things. Mm -hmm. So what is most important right now? I believe that you can't make a bad decision if you understand what's most important for you with you. And then you make the decision, understanding what trade-offs you make, because if we have to work and we all, and most of us, you know, we keep hearing about all this money that's being transferred. That's still the 0.001% of the 1%, right? Yeah. Most of us are going to have to work much longer than we thought. You know, for me, it's an extra 10, you know, I didn't know I was going to have a, a child with special needs. I didn't know I was going to live through four downturns and be at the wrong time, be at the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong things when we hit mm -hmm. the downturn, right? Yeah. Yeah. I can't plan that stuff. But what I can plan is that I'm going to be in a position to have options. I'm going to be in a position to say, this is what I'm worth. I'm staying relevant. You have to stay relevant. You don't have a choice. People don't like it. Mostly men don't like it. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you're working, you have to be relevant. Yeah. What does that mean, right? You have to find out what that means in your, in your career path because every career has a different relevance factor, right? Mm -hmm. For me, it means I have to know what the hell TikTok is and how to use it. And, you know, how does it impact what happens in public relations, you know? But yeah. other, other things, it's different. You have to be relevant and you have to, you know, what I would say is you're in control of how you act. Control what you can control and you're way ahead of the pack. Mm -hmm. And then you can set a path for yourself that says, okay, when I get, I have three women right now on my team who have kids who are not yet in kindergarten and we have set tracks for them that says, once kindergarten happens, what do you want to do? You want to keep doing this because this it has a different schedule and it has different opportunities and they're not available when they need to be for some clients. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Mm -hmm. That means this. Do you want? And they're like, I don't know yet. I'm like, okay, we'll figure it out then. It's not worth it to borrow trouble. Yeah. Because <laughs> you can't predict anything. Yeah. In the last three years I've been taught us we can't predict anything. I don't know what happens, right? Yeah. But most of us understanding who are we? Yeah. Who do we want to be? What's our impact gonna be? And um, what do we have to get done? And if you think about the 11 and a half million people who lost their jobs, got laid off in 2020, 
right? And you think about who's gone back to work. There's still 2 million women who have not yet gone back to work in this country who could have. Yeah. So I do love the, you know, the tips for, for women really to, in order to engage in these workplaces, in order to, for employers to have them come back, there are things that they have to do, but for the women themselves, it's important for them to stay relevant, to really know what they want from their job, to know their non-negotiables and to know their contribution and, you know, to really be who they want to be so that they can model the things that they want if they're coming back into workforces and workplaces that make sense to them and that are aligned with who they are mm-hmm. and are aligned with what it is that they want for their life, for their family and to move on, which is really great. It sounds you know, very Lee, naive, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it sounds naive, but it's really powerful. It's really powerful though. So I would love to ask you, what does being a career rebel mean to you? It means defining your own success. Mm. What is success to you? What is, how can you look yourself in the mirror and say, yeah, I did it, right? Yeah. All of us have a different answer. All of us have a different motivation. Our motivation may change over time. Um, Our definition of success may change over time. But what is the definition of success to you? To me, it was not having to work with people I knew were lying to me. Mm Mm-hmm because that impacted my own reputation. In yeah. the end, all we have is a reputation, right? And that's our reputations that carry us through our careers. So for me, being a rebel is being individual and figuring out what is success for me and then figuring out how to plug what my definition is into the world around me, because I'm not a bubble. I don't have billions of dollars just to do whatever the hell I want. I have to work. So I obviously have to be relevant to somebody, but I can make those rules if I have the output that those rules demand, right? If I wasn't good in my job, if I didn't go over the top sometimes to provide great service, my clients could go anywhere else, a lot of other places. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't, right? So I earned the right to have my own definition by the work, my work ethic and my output and how I treat people. But I don't give up on that definition of what is my success. Um, mm, I yeah. love that. Yeah. We're, all, we all, we're such individual, you know, I've done, I've, I've done a lot of work on myself. I told you I did this coaching stuff. Mm-hmm. MBTI, Enneagram, the appreciate love languages of appreciation, the uh, strengths finders, you know, I do all this stuff and I give it to all my people too, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. that they can know themselves better. If they can know themselves better, they can advocate for themselves better and be better employees because they're happier. And yeah. I, earlier, a happier employee, you know, it sounds very like, maybe it sounds mean spirited or, or Machiavellian. I want a happy employee because they're more yeah. <laughs> but I want to have the employee because they're more profitable. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, right. Um, and wouldn't that be a great world, right? If everybody's yeah. happy doing the stuff and. Um, well, I think too, not only it doesn't make for more profitability for the employer, but I think it makes for, you know, peace of mind, happiness, contribution and greater income for the employee. I, I think it's a win-win because the more profitable the employer are, is, the more money that they can pay that they you can negotiate be, right? for, for the right. people that are working there. So it really, it really works hand That's in the way hand. It be, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I love, you know, this idea of knowing what success means to you, but knowing it in a place where people 
it, where that's valued, where that's respected right. and where that you can have that reciprocal relationship. I think that yeah. is so key and so powerful because yeah, we don't work in bubbles. It has to show up no someplace, but if you know yourself and you're taking control and you're giving yeah. back and contributing in a way, it works for a really great given, given, given take and relationship. A lot of us later, you know, middle life are like, Oh, what should I do now? Kind of stuff. And I'm 58. I'm still wondering what I should do now. So, you know, <laughs> Mm-hmm. And some of us have just worked until we, you know, until we got more comfortable in our own skin. I know that was my truth, right? I was like, this going to yeah. be, didn't really know what to do. And then I got comfortable in my own skin and I understood more about myself. And, you know, it took me a while, but when I was reframing it, basically we have to take our experiences and reframe them for the future, right? Don't let mm. your, define your future, reframe your past to create your future. Yeah. And like, what did I take away from this experience? Man, that sucked. I didn't realize sort of like the frog that's in the water, you know, the frog jumps into the boiling water and jumps out. The frog is in the cold, cold water and gets warmed up and all of a sudden they're dead because it boiled. Uh, A lot of us, you know, I would guess the first thing is understand if your water's boiling or not. Mm. Understand what you're in and then understand what you want. And then how do you get from where you're in to where you want? And it's a journey, right? You don't yeah. you just can't flip the switch. Most of us Absolutely. don't have the benefit of switching the switch, but it is in your control to control yourself. All right, well, we, you have to stop talking, I know. I appreciate, listen, I know we could, this could be another podcast, you know, but I appreciate everything that you shared and, you know, just the insights. I love what you said, reframe your past to, uh, reframe your future, you know, create to just future. to create your future. Yeah. yeah. Reframe your past to create your future, which I think is so powerful. And I think it's such a great place to leave this conversation. And yeah, we could have gone on for more and more, but <laughs> thank you so much for being here. I'll definitely make sure to, you know, drop the links to your book so people can get access to it, to get all that wealth of information and to get onto your website to learn more. But thank you so much for being here today. Carol, thank you so much for having me. I've so enjoyed talking with you and having long answers to your very short questions. <laughs> thank you. Well, listen, that's it for um, our podcast episode for today, Rebels. Stay tuned next week when we'll have some more exciting conversations. And in the interim, have an amazingly rebellious week. I'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Hey, if you're loving what you're learning on the podcast, then you've got to come check out the Career Rebel Academy. It's where you'll get the individual help and support you need applying the concepts and strategies you're learning here and so much more. You'll be joined by a community of other rebels just like you, and I'll be there as your guide every step of the way. If you're genuinely looking to change the course of your life and career, I promise you, this is the place you'll want to be. Just go to www.carolparkerwalsh.com forward slash career dash rebel dash academy. I can't wait to see you there.